Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Father-Son Podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. My name is Tommy, and I am here, as always, joined by my co-host, my dad, Matt. Dad, how are you doing? Okay. We had uh, you know, a little snow near in coastal California, not just up in the, the mountains uh, this week, and we had, so it's been exciting. And we had hail and snow down here in Southern California, which is really out of the ordinary as well. Uh, winter seems to be hitting a bit late this year on the west coast i would say yep but uh i'm sure people in the midwest and the northeast are not going to feel sorry for they, us. they they do not want to hear it no but anyway <laughs> so since they don't want to hear it let's kind of move on to our topic of discussion to today we are here in the off season dropping one episode a week as opposed to our normal two a week in season We'll be talking about free agency, the draft, etc., etc., etc. Everything you need to know about the Packers offseason you can hear about here. If you like what you hear, come give us a follow on Twitter at FatherSonPacker. We tweet out when we got new episodes. We tweet out Packers articles we find interesting. We tweet out any news about pending free agents, um, things that happen with free agency for the Packers that is uh their own players as well as outside players any rumored links between the team and new players um tweet out about prospects we find interesting we're going to try and start doing mock draft mondays going forward and tweeting out a mock draft each monday if you want to come see how our thoughts are shifting uh as we go up until the draft um we did a mock draft episode this past week doing our very first official mock draft for the season if you want to go check that out uh that is available everywhere our podcasts are and that is apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts you can even find them on youtube uh and if you really enjoy what you hear come subscribe to us on youtube father son packers podcast it would really help our numbers and we would really appreciate it but like i said today we are going to be talking a bit about the draft because dad next week is the nfl combine and this is a big day for uh nfl prospects a uh, chance to kind of show their athleticism show that hey i'm faster than i look on tape or hey i'm just as fast as i look on tape and maybe for a few of them hey i'm a lot slower than i am on tape um but dad i know that's this called is... you'll see me you'll see me in a month in my pro day or maybe yes. not at all <laughs> yes and so that is actually starting just this tuesday february 28th 2023 and going until march 6th i believe let me just double check yep monday march 6th uh they'll be doing it usually by position doing weigh-ins and measurables on that first day you're not going to miss much if you don't watch uh, and then just going through a barrage of uh physical athletic testing usually a 40 yard dash three cone drill which is a drill used for essentially measuring change of direction a short shuttle which also measures short dire- um short change of direction uh, a bunch of drills a uh, bunch of runs bunch of jumps um, stuff like that yep. and stuff where it's it kind of gives people essentially a threshold to compare these players against players from the past. Uh, like I said, that's starting on Tuesday and then finishing up the following Monday. But, Dad, before we get into talking about the combine, let's talk because we do have a little bit of Packers news to get to. And yeah. that and is some that- of it's combine related, as in Gutekunst will be there with, I guess, every GM, but the Packers coaching staff will not. Yes. Um, joining some other coaching staffs that will not be going there. So in, in terms of you don't have to watch it to know the numbers, I guess the Packers are taking that philosophy. We'll uh, we'll find out afterwards. And I guess Gudikins will be commi- um, you know, performing the interviews because I think that's another big thing that happens there. Yeah, Gudikins and the staff will probably be performing the interviews. And then uh, I think I saw it's like they're going to film all of this stuff anyways was their logic and they're just they can just watch it on tape. They they felt just as comfortable watching it on video, which I would imagine probably puts a lot more weight, um, just spitballing here, on the pre-draft visits. I would imagine we want to watch those a little more closely. If you didn't know, the um, each NFL team is allowed to bring in a certain number of players from the draft to come into their facility, do interviews, et cetera, et cetera, do some testing um, just one-on-one. And so the fact that the Packers coaching staff isn't there to do these like interviews and talk with these players... It says to me that we're probably going to want to watch those um, pre-draft visits a little more closely because I'd imagine a coaching staff would want to talk to a player before they draft them is is my main thought there. Um, yeah, but that's it's one... always... Go ahead. I was going to say, there's, there's always... Uh, uh, Packers in the past have had this strategy of using their visits for, like, undrafted... Priority undrafted free agents 
and maybe more recently starting to interview players that are interested in drafting who are a little bit higher on the boards. So their their strategy there might be evolving. I think in the past they didn't want to reveal who they were interested in or anything like that because it's all very much sort of cloak and dagger um, sort of Smoke operation. And mirrors. Yeah. The other thing that's kind of interesting to say about the I think at the combine is where a lot of discussions start going on um, between teams about player movement. Yes, and agents. I would imagine like everybody's Aaron- there. I would imagine Rodgers is going to be a hot topic at the Combine this week, for sure. And probably not just amongst other teams with the Packers. That's probably going to be the talk of the town, other teams amongst each other. Hey, where do you think Rodgers is playing next year? Et cetera, et cetera. I I would not be surprised if we get a lot of rumors coming out of this week about Rodgers. I think there will be a lot of stuff coming out. Gutekus is giving, I think, a presser on Tuesday as well. Um, um, From the Combine, I think. I think it's Tuesday that he's he's going to be in front of the mic. Yeah, I, I maybe so. at the same time that maybe be it simultaneous with Rogers on McAfee, and we'll see what happens with with all of that. You know, since Rogers is out of his uh, darkness retreat now, and what might be going on with all of that. Um, so that'll be kind of interesting to follow. What uh, sort of I think the rumor mill will start ramping up um, very fast yeah. this week as the beginning of uh, the combine. Which is always There's, fun. I mean, who doesn't like a good yeah. rumor mill? <laughs> and hey, maybe it drives up the trading price tag for Rogers as well. You never know. Maybe maybe a little we'll bit of a bidding war. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And then there's been a, a little bit more news. Um, the other thing that's coming up soon is the uh, the Packers needing to get under the salary cap before the start of the new league year, and so they've done some restructures already. Um, we already had heard, I think, about um, Aaron Jones taking a, a pay cut and a restructure to lower his cap hit. And they've now restructured um, Jair Alexander and Preston Smith's um, contracts. And I think, as I understand it, they're just simple restructures. Um, so they, it's, which is basically just an accounting trick. The league, I mean, the team doesn't even need player permission for some of these where they're essentially changing what they call the money. So the players are still getting the money. They're just calling it a bonus, uh, like a, a, roster bonus or some kind of bonus instead of salary. So when when it's a bonus, it the cap hit is spread out over all the years of the contract as opposed to the salary counts on that year. So the players don't have to wait for their money. It's just the team counts it on the cap um, later. And so yeah, that's it's, the way they save the it's money. It's really a win-win. It's really a win-win for the player and the team. The team gets to a little, get a little more cap flexibility. The player gets their money up front. I I, I yeah. imagine that the players and team are both very happy about how that goes. Yeah, and and for the players, they're not actually giving anything up for these simple restructures. They're not like doing the team a favor. Um, to, to they're but they're actually in some ways. I don't know how they may actually get their money even earlier because it comes as a uh, a, a bonus at the beginning of the year instead of spread out over the. I'm not exactly sure how the sort of the the uh, salary per game sort of calculation is done, but they basically get their whole year amount of money. So they don't, they're not losing anything. And then they're yeah. all there. So, so those contracts have been restructured. And there's restructured. also talk that um, perhaps Kenny Clark and David Bakhtiari's contracts might also get re- reworked in some way. Yeah. Because they need to create that cap flexibility and, it's a heck of a lot easier than cutting players is just to do yeah. a little bit of accounting tricks and just move some money around. Um, I think, yeah, so Jair and Preston did have simple restructures. I think for the maximum amount, if I remember correctly, um, that they could be restructured for in terms of taking that, money out of this year. That's what it looked like in terms of the, the amount of cap uh, savings they got. Yeah, and then Jones actually did lose money. Jones did lose money he on did his lo- uh, Jones did lose and money. restructure. Um but yes, yeah, so that's the main news coming out of Titletown this week is those restructures. What it means for the Packers, probably not a whole lot. Uh, these restructures would probably be done whether or not, and I'm by what by that yeah. I mean, does it impact <laughs> Rodgers's like anybody it, trying to figure out if this means Rodgers is staying or going? It could mean either one, so it means nothing. Yeah, they would probably have done this either way. I don't think there's yeah. no reason they wouldn't do it they either need way. To save the money. Uh, yeah. Because they need to be either able to way, pay their draft, is... they need to, they need the money to pay the draft picks. They need they need the money to get under the league uh, um, cap. salary yeah. cap at the beginning of the year, so they don't get penalized draft picks or whatever the penalty is if you're not under the salary cap. 
Yeah, and it's it's a thing was like either way, Rogers cap hit this year, even if he's not on the team, is very large. So it's like they're gonna have to get under either way. So Yep. And that takes us essentially out of our news segment and into our main segment of the program today, as it were, which with the combine coming up is kind of a bit of a preview, but more from the Packers point of view. Because if you've been following the draft long enough as a Packers fan, you'll know that, I mean, a lot of different analysts talk about this. I think I heard Trevor Sikama say it on the NFL um, Stock Exchange, uh, which is a really good podcast for draft content. I think I heard Ben Solak say it on the Ringer NFL Draft Show. They specifically pointed out that Brian Gutekunst has specific athletic thresholds for a lot of his picks. And we thought that it might be... um, helpful for a Packers fan to possibly know what some of these athletic thresholds were. So what my dad and I did is we went in and looked at every draft pick that the Packers had made in recent years under Gutekind. So that's since the 2018 draft. He has had five drafts as GM of the Packers. Sure, he's been a scout for many, many more years beyond that, but we're just attributing these five drafts of him as a GM. We looked at each pick he made at each position, and then we looked at how they tested out either at Combine or Pro Day. And then we went through essentially kind of looking at some clusters of that data, essentially when, what sharp cutoffs do they seem to have for certain testing times? We'll talk a little bit about several positions today. We're going to talk about their five biggest positions of need just to kind of keep it tight. That'll be safety, tight end, wide receiver, um, uh, edge, and defensive line. And then beyond, and beyond that, if you, uh, we might do a couple, bits check our twitter we might do a little bit more on this going forward uh but for this episode we're just going to focus on those five positions and just kind of tell you hey if this is a player you like in the draft if this is a player you think the packers might draft keep an eye on them at the combine to hit these marks because the packers especially as many different um analysts have said have very specific thresholds for certain positions that they need their players to hit for them to want to draft them and some positions, these thresholds seem more important than others. And people say, oh, Brian Gutekunst doesn't even know what RAS is. It's irrelevant if he knows what RAS is or not. Because whatever they're using to measure um, the athleticism, RAS is capturing it in the same way. So whether he's using that metric or something else, they care about athleticism. Yes, they seem to care a lot about athleticism. And RAS, if you don't know, is relative athletic score, which we've talked about a lot on this show. It pretty much measures essentially how athletic someone is for their size compared to other people at their position. So it takes into account position size and the athletic testing numbers. And it definitely seems like, I mean, Brian Gutekunst always has said this, and pretty much any time he's asked about these athletic uh, thresholds, I think the quote he always goes to is like, uh, I, it's something like he always says, like God only makes so many big and fast, like big, fast, strong human beings, and you got to get more of those than the other guy to win football games or something like that. Right, and that's, that's like not a paraphrasing his, quote. Of his quote. It's like a is it a, is it a Ron Wolf? I forget who. It might be quote a Ron Wolfism. It might be a Ted Thompsonism. It's it's they've all worked for each other for so long and worked together for so long. They all kind of have the same ideology around drafting players and what a player should look like. But Dad. Maybe we should just get into talking about this um, and start with the safety group, which, for my for my money, is the position that the Packers definitely have the biggest need at. So, for the safety position, Brian Gutekinds has drafted three safeties as GM of the Packers. Darnell Savage in the first round, Vernon Scott in the seventh round, and Tariq Carpenter in the seventh round. And while Scott did not record any athletic measurements because of his pro day being canceled due to COVID, both Carpenter and Savage uh, did get pretty much full um, athleticism testing done either at Combine for Savage and pro day for Carpenter. And so looking at this safety position and what their measurables and what their height was, uh, let's look first at physical measurements. And... I think for the safety position, it seems like, given the fact that Savage was on the small side and he was willing to draft him, it actually does seem like he doesn't care that much about size at the safety position. I think that the I think that one thing that this leads to for me is like is Brian Branch on the table, like a player like that, 
who is a smaller safety out of Alabama, was projected to go in the first round. I've seen mock to Green Bay many times. But if you look at Savage, I would imagine they'll measure out very similarly. I mean, Savage was 5'10 and a half about and 198 pounds coming out of college. So clearly he's willing to draft on the smaller side. However, when you look at the athletic measurements, this is the part for safety that it seems that they're going to have to hit several different athletic thresholds for the Green Bay Packers to consider them. And what it really seems to be is the jumps. So for the safety position, the lowest vertical of the two of these guys was 39 inches, which is definitely something to keep an eye on because that's in the 88th percentile among safeties. So that's really high for a safety, and that's the lowest jumps they've they've had for a player they've drafted here. And now I know you're saying, hey, it's a very small sample size, only two players. This is true, but it's what we have to work with for Gutekunst. And then for broad jump, the the minimum value that either of these players has was 10 feet, 6 inches, which is still uh, an elite score, and I believe in the 82nd percentile for safeties. So low to high 80th percentile in both jump scores is definitely going to be something to keep an eye on if you're considering a safety for the Packers. And those are the two probably most important testing numbers that I have noticed in my research in the safety position. Again, only a two sample size. He could easily break these trends, but something to keep an eye on is 10 foot six in the broad jump, 39 inches in the vert have been the two cutoffs and are both very high for the position. Beyond that though, it doesn't seem like there is a lot of need for other things at that position. I mean, he took, um, Tree Carpenter ran a four five two. It's not super fast. Um, I know a lot of people say, "Hey, he was drafted only for special teams." That is a good point, um, and it's definitely something to keep in mind when you're hearing all of this. Is that a lot of these numbers, like he ran a very slow three cone at seven five, and so it's like, does Gudikinst not care about the three cone for safeties, or is that just because he didn't see Tree Carpenter as a true safety? It's a valid question, but it's what we're working with. A four four six shuttle is the slowest shuttle they have, which isn't great, and then. It really comes down to also RAS. Um, 9.05 RAS for Carpenter and an 8.37 for uh, for Savage. Those are both great to elite um, relative athletic scores. And so it definitely seems like athleticism, specifically explosiveness, which is what the jumps are aiming to measure, is like a big key for safeties, Dad. Sorry, I kind of monologued a bit there for a long time, but what what are your feelings on those you safety sly positions? Dogs. You got me monologuing. You got me monologuing. <laughs> But uh, so one thing, monologuing, so telling me about how inevitable my defeat is. Uh, but anyway, what do you what do you feel about the safeties? So one thing about Carpenter is he is big for a safety. I mean, so he's he's two thirty, so he's a heavy safety. So for and he's still actually pretty explosive. And so his agility numbers are you know are not as good as you might have expected considering his comparison to Savage, but they're very different players. But one thing, even though his 40 time isn't so good, his splits, his 20-yard and 10-yard splits are actually still very good. And and one thing I like to think about for the numbers is kind of grouping them. You have the you have the size, you have the height and weight, you have the speed, maybe the 40 uh, for like top-end speed, or maybe the 20. And then you, you have the explosiveness, which are the, the jumps and maybe the 10-yard split for how, how quickly they can start to move and you have the agility scores kind of grouping the shuttle and the three cone together into that got sort of an agility score and i i think it seems to be looking through that uh, a lot of times packers want somebody to be good in at least one of the two agility scores but it depends a little bit on the position one thing i'd say about uh the the branch uh comparison you're making he like savage in college has done a lot of slot work um which maybe means that He's redundant? Yeah. For, no, I, I, I agree. I think we talked about this on our mock draft episode when the prospect of picking Branch came up. And I think we both agreed that, hey, he's probably a really good player, but he is a bit redundant with Savage in terms of their skill sets. And so I wasn't necessarily saying that they might pick Branch. Just that a no. player like Branch, as a physical comparison, is like, that's some people might say that's the type of player that the Packers wouldn't take because they're small. It seems that at the safety position, size is not that big an issue. Yeah, I mean, it is the type of player they picked before. Smaller and plays a lot of slot. They've done it once before. They've shown they've done it. They show they will. They will. Uh, they'll do it. 
Um, and that takes us over to. But, do you have anything uh, else on uh, safeties, if, or did you want to safeties in general? Is like I would expect them to add at least two safeties this off season, maybe two in the draft, and maybe one in the um, free agency. That's a and that other thing. Maybe we'll talk talk about later is who's out there in free agency and uh, how if any of them would fit in terms of money and measurables. Though they've they don't stick to their. Um, testing numbers quite as strongly when players have put NFL tape on. Yes. And the thing with safety is we're going to talk about free agents down the line because there's a massive dead space between the combine and the draft where it's mostly pro days and there's only so much you can talk about pro days. Well, Um, then you have this crazy week of the first week of uh, um, free agency where, you know, all of a sudden contracts are being signed at, you know, 12.01 a.m. and you wake, you wake yeah, up in the morning and like the top 15 how could free they, agents have already signed. How could they negotiate these contracts so quickly? <laughs> it's it's a miracle. But anyway, yeah. I think that's and I agree they probably will have to add a, a free agent safety just because they got to have someone play those snaps and it'd be really tough trotting out two rookies out there. But let's move on to tight ends, Dad, where I think a lot of people would agree that this is the second biggest need for the Packers, the tight end room has been a bit derelict for really the past five years. Um, and while the safety class is not super strong in this upcoming draft, the tight end class is quite good. So this is definitely going to be one to look at. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah on his recent uh, media call with the press about the NFL draft, which is, I think, required listening for anyone who really wants to to hear about what NFL teams think about the draft because he's really plugged in in a lot of those circles. Um, but he said he has, I think, 11 tight ends with a day one or day two grade, which I think he said is the most he has had in his entire time as a um, draft analyst. But 11 going, in the top three rounds. Yes, which is I think would be pretty wild. I think that's what he said. I think it was eleven in the top three rounds, which is is pretty crazy. There could, um, you know, there could be what four there could be in the, four first, in the round? first round, which would be wild. Yeah, that yeah, would. Be I don't wild. remember the yeah. last time there were four in the first round. Like, I mean, I, I, the last time there were two in the first round was Hawkinson and Fant, and I just can't even. I don't even remember the last time there were four in the first round. But beyond that, though, let's talk a little bit about the Packers at this position because. I think this this part was a little confusing to me. So, Gutekunst has drafted yeah, two tight ends. Yeah, the other thing ends. about it is, and he's only drafted two. It's, again, it's how much he's kind of ignored the position in the draft for the last five years. Yes, and it's, it's true because they've needed a tight end for a while, and he has mostly just dipped into the free agency well. But the two tight ends he has drafted were Josiah DeGuara and Jay Sternberger. Um, and... The common factor between these two is that neither are very elite athletes at all. Um, Sternberger was 6'4", DeGuara was 6'2", so it doesn't seem like there's a massive height requirement there. Uh, 6'2 is very short for a tight end. Um, the lowest weight was which, 242 pounds. Which is why pounds. he's often called a fullback. Yes, the lowest weight was 242 pounds, uh, which would be in the ninth percentile. So not real, not really any requirements there in terms of in terms of height or weight and then you look down the line and that was deguara who was 242 um then you look down the line and i mean both have mediocre razes deguara with a 6.66 sternberger with a 5.17 both of them ran in the four sevens a four seven seven is average for the position for a tight end so both around average uh, overall speeds vertical um 31 and a half inches was the lowest and 35 and a half was the highest 31 and a half is just a bit below average 35 and a half is above average but not elite um nine foot five inches on the broad jump is below average for a tight end and that's like the lower of the two um around average for the position at the short shuttle and around average at the position for the three cone and so it seems like that they're fine with drafting just mid to average athletes at the tight end position, despite what most people will tell you most teams are doing these days is they're just trying to draft an elite athlete and see if it hits. And I think the big, uh, the big, I think was Andy and we- Herman was saying, Andy Herman was saying, it was like, yeah, so we, they took the average athlete with college production, Jay Sternberger, in the third round. 
Whereas the Bills, I think a round later, took the elite athlete with not great college production in Dawson Knox. And so you can see two completely different um, kind of ideas when it comes to approaching this position in the draft. Philosophies. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. When you look at that specific draft, it's the same draft. And you see that elite athlete, at least in that case, worked out much better. And I think what it seems like a lot of people are coming around to the idea of is you just bet on traits at that position. I know this is something a lot of analysts are saying is at tight end, you know, college production has not necessarily been super tied to NFL production and that a lot of times you just want to bet on elite athletes. And so in my opinion, I think that I'm going to be watching the tight end position extremely closely for their athletic testing at the combine. I don't know if the Packers are going to be watching that closely because they don't seem to have put much importance well, into that athletic maybe testing they've the learned their lesson. Um, well, the other thing, yeah, so let's see if they've learned less. Because I was looking at um, you know, tight ends in the league-wide for the like the league leaders for the last 10 years in yardage. And the vast majority are, are you know, great to elite athletes who have been among the, the top five in yardage in the season for the last 10 years. And it actually turns out that, that Tunyon is actually kind of close to that level. Um, and he's somebody they didn't draft, but they kind of stole before he actually played in NFL league. Actually, I don't know if they stole him off a practice squad or if they signed him as a free agent. They signed him to a futures contract just as uh, Goody was uh, starting up. But he, but they haven't been drafting athletes at the position. And, and, this and, is they, haven't been, is, and they haven't been hitting at the position. So it's like no. and, A to and B. Is, this, is college tight end production fool's gold. Yes, I think and 100%. you should be ig- ignoring it for traits, I think is what the lesson is. Because yes. tight end production may be that they just don't have any receivers. And so they're just going to hit the tight end over and over again. Or that's or their QB, and that's as far as you could throw it. And I mean, the college <laughs> There could be a lot of situational are, reasons. And Daniel Jeremiah was talking about this on, I'm sorry to reference the same podcast uh, episode again, but it's, it's very good. You should really listen to it. Um, but he was essentially saying, "Is like, yeah, I think most people are realizing that when a college tight end has a lot of production, it's it's a really gimmicky college offense, usually where they're just running a lot of tunnel screens for the tight end, and he's just getting a lot of open space to run into, and it doesn't necessarily indicate that he's actually getting open at a high level. It's just they're running the offense around him, and this there's a lot the of space. Big... There's and there's a lot more space in the college game. And I'm going to be watching tight end testing. You know, a lot of people have been mocking." A particular tight end to the Packers because they and you know um, uh, Mayor from Notre Dame. How's he going to test? What's his testing going to look like? I don't think it's going to be good, in my opinion. So that's somebody I'm going to be watching, and uh, whether he's going to be worth a you know mid first round pick. Yeah, I think they're going to be. And the ones that I think a lot of people are looking at, um, just to throw some names out there. I'm interested to see... Well, Kincaid, I'm not sure if he's going to test because he's been dealing with injuries like the entire like pre-draft process so far. Uh, um, he had to sit out to wait of the, for a pro day to, for him. He had to sit out of the Senior Bowl, I think, if I remember correctly, and I don't know if he's going to be 100% for the Combine, so he might not run. Uh, I'm interested to see how big Washington is. I'm pretty sure he's going to be at the Combine. Um, and and then, how fast he's going to be at that size. Yeah. And Luke and then, Musgrave was like, one of the fastest like on field times for a player his size. Yeah. Well, they're they're saying at, that at the senior he's bowl run. They're saying he's going to run like in the like four fives is what they're at the or like four sixes at like two hundred and fifty pounds, which is going to be kind of insane if that's true. Um, yeah, and there are other uh, there are other tight ends to watch as well to see who uh, you know, if who who's going to. Test well and maybe be somebody because some of these, a lot of the times, these tight ends who hit in the NFL, they're not early draft picks. They're athletic um, testers who teams pick late as a flyer, and there can be some of those as well as the uh, upper tier tight ends. Yeah, I, and then I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see how Musgrave runs. I'm interested to see how big Kincaid is, even if he can't run, because I know one. The other question with him besides the um, health question marks are like how big he is and I, he's I'm a little worried about big, taking another Sternberger not as good a but blocker I I don't think I I know um a lot of analysts are saying like a lot of teams have Kincaid as the number one tight end on the board and I see why because he is like really really fluid and what was it um uh I think 
uh, Jeremiah was saying he reminds him of like a slightly more fluid Zach Ertz, um, just a little smaller. Yeah, I saw something today talking about how how uh, his catch percentage and and the how few drops he has in his career um, are both like, yes. really really Elite. good. Yeah, but I'm I want to see how well Musgrave runs. Um, I I'm a little scared about how Mayer's going to run. I just don't think it's going to be very good. Um, and then the guy from South Dakota State, I think it's Croft, um, if I remember correctly. Oh, Croft. Craft. And Craft. Then, Craft. Uh, and then, and then there's... I want to um, see how the... La- I want to see how Laporta runs, because uh, I actually think Laporta's going right, to be Laporta. pretty good. But um, I know not a lot of people are talking about him right now. I'm really high on him, but we're going to see. There's the um, Cincinnati... Yeah. He's... Cincinnati tight ends, I think their their top one and their second one might go as a kind of late round. I don't I don't know how well they're going to test those those guys out. What is it? Uh, I forget their names of. Uh, the, but, Let's see. Yeah, Let's one see. of them. One uh, of them Leonard is Taylor is, like, is uh, going to be at the combine, and then Josh Weil is also Weil is also going to be at the combine, right? Because I see Weil going kind of as a late round. I don't. I'd be curious to see. And then there's some other like. Um, Tight ends, small school tight ends that are going to be worth following as yeah, well. Yeah, Gindorf well from North test. Dakota State, who we took in the seventh round of our last mock draft, is going to be at the combine. So that'll be fun for you to watch. I know you're high on him. Um, but yeah, so for and the tight end I, group, I, I like I, I think liked what, what I little think what tape I could find of him. Yeah, I think for the tight end group, what we're saying though is like, hey, the Packers don't really care about athletes, but maybe they should because it has not been going well for them, and the rest of the league seems to think about that position quite differently than they do. Um, as evidence, I think most like just to wrap this up is like that that Dawson Knox, um, Jay Sternberger difference really just sticks in my brain. And shout out Andy Herman of Packaday Podcast for pointing that out on Twitter. He's a good follow at Andy Herman NFL. Um, beyond that, let's do you want to move on to wide receivers, Dad? Which I think we have as their third biggest need at uh, that position. Or do you want? Do you have anything else you want to add on tight ends? Because it seems like honestly there aren't even there's there's no thresholds they got to hit. They just got to be average. Like they <laughs> they just have to be average at tight end. The Packers. We're hoping you, we're hoping for a change here. Yes, and I I, I do but think yeah, we, they. We, I think Deguara is a bit of a tough one. And obviously, also, that one's a small sample size, only two guys. Deguara's a tough one because he is a fullback, and his RAS for a fullback, I think, is very good. Um, it's in the eights instead of in the sixes, I think, as a fullback. Yeah, so so a lot of these athletic measurements for a fullback are quite good. So there's at least that, I guess. So they're kind of drafting a good athlete. But then let's move over to wide receivers, um, which I think is what everyone wants to talk about. Uh, Gudikins has drafted seven wide receivers since becoming GM. Uh, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Samori Toure, Mari Rogers, Equinemia St. Brown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Jamon Moore. So for these players, and I think for this position, a lot of people talk about size when they talk about Packers receivers and players the Packers like to draft. They're like, oh, they want these big-bodied receivers who know how to block, um, who are willing to participate and get dirty in the run game. And to some extent, I think that is true. The Packers have historically taken bigger receivers. Um, when you look at those measurements, so before we even touch on athletic measurables, height-wise, the average height for a Packers drafted receiver amongst those seven is a bit over six two and a half, which is around the 70th percentile. So pretty big. And then also they have taken three receivers over six four of those seven, which is in the 91st percentile. So clearly they do prioritize height at that position. However, I think the piece that was more compelling to me is they were willing to take a shorter receiver in Amari Rogers at five, nine and a half, but he was over 210 pounds. So I think the big thing is outside of Samari Toure, all these guys are above 200 pounds. So I think, yeah. Do you remember, they do you remember what Gutekind said they, about Amari Rogers when he drafted him? No. What was it? He is not a small man. He's just short. Yes. And so I think that kind of perfectly encapsulates the Packers thoughts on this is like, Yes, they like size at the position for receiver, but it's okay for you to not be super tall as long as you're bulked up. And so keep that in mind when you're looking at receivers this weekend is, so guys like Jordan Addison, guys like Zay Flowers, if they're not going to get up to around 200 pounds, these guys look really skinny on the field. I mean, they might not even hit 185. Exactly. It's it's less so about the height, like they is- might measure in... 6'1", six, six, they, they might, Addison might be around 6'1", Flowers is pretty short, but they, they might be tall enough that some people might be like, oh, maybe. I don't know if they're going to be big enough for the Packers to consider, and maybe they break trends. They're, 
maybe, but it seems like they want bigger guys, and whether that's really tall and maybe a little spindly, like in Marquez Valdez-Scanling case, but still 200 pounds and still pretty strong. Or if you're short, you have to be at least like 210, like built like a running back, like Amari Rodgers was. And that honestly didn't even quite really work out for them. So maybe they changed their parameters no, they, based they, on that. And they also ignored some other things, I think, in, in that. One thing I would like to add about that in terms of, I think one way I think the Packers think about it, these small, s- smaller receivers, skinishers, if they can't block and help out and, and, and participate in every play, they're a third down only player. They're a yes. part-time player. They're not on there for all, for all downs, and so are they. They're not going to spend a first round pick on a part time player. They probably won't even spend a day two pick on a part time player. Probably not. And so they might they might later in the draft take a flyer and somebody who could be like a gadget player or do some other things, but they're not going to use high draft capital on a player they see as a part time player. And if yeah. a player, yeah, you know, and, and I think they see these small receivers in their system as part time players. Yeah, so and it, it honestly begs the question: like, how far would Addison have to fall before the Packers took him? And like, I think that's this an is interesting question. Always it, the the thing is like, yeah, I don't want that player at that draft position, but I'll take him at a different draft position. And that's and always a calculation that, for every. You know player. who I think that happened with? Just to go on a slight tangent. Do you, do, do you know who I'm talking about? I think it's Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson. I think that is, Josh I think that is, ex- yes, I think that is exactly, exactly like who that Josh Jackson. Because it was like, yep, yeah, we don't really, like, we're not that high on Josh Jackson. And then he fell all the way to like the mid second round. We didn't have like, him on our board, but then he was mid second round. And so well, I guess we got to take him now. <laughs> like they're like, I mean, maybe we're wrong. Maybe maybe everyone's wrong. <laughs> you never know. He and was, then it didn't work out. Yeah, and then it didn't work out. So stick with your board. Um, maybe maybe he was higher on their board than that, but you never know. Um, I would. I'm a little skeptical. But so that's kind of the deal with uh, physical measurements is you got to be if you got to be at least 200 pounds, pretty much. Um, Smart Tory is like and 196 the, and in the seventh round. So I'm not even really counting that. And uh, they do and, like and, and, tall, and they do lean. The only one. Sorry, go tall. Ahead. Yes. Oh, I was going to say. He, and he was and, and Rogers was the only one who was under six feet. Yes. And they lean tall. They like like. The fact they have three guys that they've three of the seven guys they've taken have all been in the 90th percentile of height, definitely very interesting. Athletic measurements, though, this was kind of interesting because they really do not care about the vertical jump, it seems, for receivers. Um, the lowest vertical jump of these players was a 30 and a half, which is like really bad for the position. And then the average is around a 34, which is still well below average. And uh, almost half of the pl- the receivers they took are below the 50th percentile in um in the vertical jump. So it seems like they don't really value that hardly at all, which is um, a which really is... interesting thing when you think about how one of Devontae's best traits, physical traits, is his jumping. He's like a 42 jumping ability. Vertical. Yeah. It's like your so, best receiver you've had in the last decade, like his best trait was jumping, <laughs> but they just don't care about jumping anymore, or at least vertical jump. No, I mean, you um, look at it, it's like over half of the players are below average in the vertical for the receiver group. Yeah, and then, however, I was good, that's why I had to correct myself, because they do seem to care about the broad jump for receivers. Unlike the vert, all players um, were above the 60th percentile in broad jump, Um except for the lowest, which was in the 45th percentile. Um, that must have been Jamon Moore. Yeah, I think at if 10 I remember foot even. correctly. Um, let me just pull that up as well. Uh, and then, yeah, he, he didn't exactly work out for them. Um, four of the six uh, have numbers that are above the 72nd percentile in the broad jump. So it seems like for receivers, they feel that that measures their explosiveness better than the vertical does, and they don't really care about the contested catchability that the vertical might indicate as much. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Beyond that, for the 40-yard dash, the slowest they were willing to take was Jamon Moore, who ran a 4.6. Um, I think he ran a lot faster at his pro day, uh, and so maybe that's why they were willing to, because 4.6 is pretty much a death knell for most receivers. So if your favorite receiver yeah. runs does a 4.6 at the combine, he had a it's not looking very good. unusual profile. And Jamon Moore had a very unusual profile. He had a really slow 40 and his and splits as well. But um, good vertical and really good um, agility scores. His short shuttle and three cone were both really good. 
actually yeah. the best the the best of all of the receivers they drafted. He had the best agility scores. Yeah, and then and I think for the forty I don't think it's dash, the speed. Though, the reason I think the speed is not the reason why he didn't make it though. Yeah, he couldn't catch. I mean, we all yeah, it is what it is. Uh, for the forty yard dash, though, their average speed um, was around a four four six, which is around the sixty fifth percentile. So they like their guys to be pretty fast, I would say. Um, and you know, bigger, faster, stronger, like Gutekun said, is always better. Um, for the shuttle, Amari Rogers was the slowest, but all the rest were slightly above average. Uh, and then for the three cone. Everyone except for Amari Rogers was above average. And so it seems like, hey, maybe they see what happened with Amari. They see it didn't work out. Maybe they tighten up their thresholds a little bit on those uh, agility scores. Um, anything that you have that you want to point... Oh, and then for RAS, uh, Amari Rogers and Toure both had low RAS numbers. But besides that, every other receiver had a RAS over 8. And if I forgot to mention it, um, the RAS for the tight ends were... Both around a six point six six for Deguara and a five point one seven for Jay Sternberger. But anyway, for the receivers, Dad, is there anything that you wanted to tack on here before we move on to our next position, really quick? Um, one thing that's kind of interesting is, except for Toure, they all seem to be kind of on the stronger side. Um, in the bench, um, and they're, um. Uh, is there, is there more? Yeah, the the broad jump is something I I I noticed by, and it seems to be something they care about at a lot of positions. Yeah, um, the forty times and the twenty and ten splits are a bit kind of a mixed bag. Um, some good, some some bad. So again, it's a little bit. I think they 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 go for big and fast, and they can get them, but they can't always get the combination. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, and, and then the they, main thing, and then they will try to grab players um, at you know times as well. Well, off the other thing is you know whether some of these thresholds apply to it's like priority undrafted free agents and things agents, as well. But yeah, but a lot of those guys are. We we can talk about that as we get a little closer to draft. Let's move on to edge though, because I would say this is also a position where there is a lot of need, especially with Gary coming off of injury next year. Going to need someone to soak up a lot of the snaps. Gutekunst has drafted four edges in his time uh, as GM of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Rashawn Gary, Jonathan Garvin, uh, Kingsley, or JJ Anigbare, and Kendall Donerson, who you may not remember. He was a seventh-round pick in like 2018 or 2019, I think. Um, 2018. So for these players, all of them are six foot three or taller. Uh, and the only one who was below 258 pounds was Kendall Donerson, who was a seventh-rounder. Um. For the RAS, I think this is the one for the relative athletic score where it really seems to matter because besides Enigbare, who was 6.25, so not a very elite athlete at all, even seventh rounders like Donerson and Garvin were a nine or above, which is like the elite of the elite athletes at the position. Um, Beyond that, though, Dad, I feel like it's it's a lot of what the rest of the league is doing as well as like super elite athletes at the edge is kind of the way to go. And the Packers believe it in this position, maybe not so much as we would want at other positions. Um, all of these players that they have taken had elite vertical uh, jumps above the 80th percentile. Um, all except for Enigbare had uh, great to elite broad jumps above the 80th percentile. Um, Enigbare was the slowest 40 yard dash they had at a 487. Um, Donerson and Gary both great, and Garvin and Enigbare both good. Uh, and then for the shuttle, Enigbare was poor at both agility drills. Garvin didn't test, and Gary and Donerson were great at one or um, and good at another. Um, flip-flopping between the two. Um, between shuttle and three-cone, that is. So, for these players, Dad, what sticks out to you? Because it seems like, hey, they're willing to bet on elite athletes that don't necessarily have a lot of production, uh, unlike the tight end spot. I'm sorry, I, I will stop beating this dead horse when they start drafting good tenants. Uh, <laughs> but for the <laughs> edge... The beatings, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Until they draft a good tight end, please, Is what I that sounded like. Until they go out and draft Sam Laporta or Musgrave or Kincaid or someone or Washington uh, or any tight end that is, as, is an elite athlete, please. Um, but for these players, it seems they are willing to draft a elite athlete who doesn't have a lot of production, like Gary. Um, so that might bode well for the Packers maybe drafting a guy like Miles Murphy uh, out of Clemson. 
I that's someone that we drafted in our mock draft. Someone that we're keeping that an eye on. If he lasts that long, I mean, he I'm, is someone that I think that is going to draft like test out of his mind at the combine and will probably work his way out of the Packers range. But hey, maybe not. That's my suspicion is he's going to go in the top ten. But hey, and, what are the uh, what are the odds? What are the odds that he tests better than Gary did? And Gary didn't test his way out of their spot. That's all I'm saying. That's just true. He he they they got him at twelve, so it's possible. You know, it's interesting that they they seem that they for Gary they went for the you know elite athlete who didn't have much production. And I think Barrio was kind of the is the opposite. The opposite. He was very productive with, but was not an elite athlete. An an elite athlete. One thing I think they do look for here is, you know what they say, like explosion. So your ability to get started off the jump. So even though Enigbari was not super fast, his um, vertical was pretty good and his, his uh, broad jump was okay. And his his 10-yard split, which is another thing about how quickly you get started, it was, was, was uh, I guess it was okay. It wasn't great. The other thing he has, I think, are, pretty, are long arms, um, which, you know, is another sort of, tool in the toolkit for pass rushing and you think he knows how to use them so that's another thing i think you can you can look for um in terms of how he wins does he do does the player win with in a way that takes advantage of their advantages or do they just sort of luck into things yeah Um, but and they like elite but athletes it, at the position, but it's it's so it's kind of interesting yeah. they took Enigbari, and it's kind of interesting it worked out. I, I that that was my main takeaway yeah. from this. But but I, I think one thing maybe to look at is not just necessarily the like the forty time, which always is flashy and people pay a lot of attention to, but the uh, the the explosive and, numbers, the vertical, and you know and what? the broad jump. Yeah, the vertical and the broad jump, I totally agree. But you know what just kind of jumped into my mind? Do you think Enigbari was another Josh Jackson? Where it's like, hey. We didn't have this guy in the third, and he's fallen all the way to the fifth. And we weren't as high on him as maybe some other people were, but we weren't quite this slow on him. So, come Everybody on over. Dropped, I, th- you know, I, when they got to it, it's like they need to get an edge in this draft for depth. They and yeah. he's like the last guy standing, yeah. that, that had a chance to be good. It seemed like, and so it was like, it's like, please, you know still be there by the time they pick in the fifth round. And the round. thing is, it's like, when I watched him play at South Carolina, Enigbari was one of my guys going to the draft, and then I was like, I was like, this guy, like, he looks like he tests better than this, but I don't know. It's just, just it's like, it's just not popping in the, on like the combine, like, or in the pro day stuff. But when I watched him play, I'm like, this guy looks like an elite athlete to me. I don't really know what's going on. And then he had a really good rookie year. Hopefully he can stack up a good second year after that. Um, cause they're going to need him, especially in the beginning of the year with Gary probably missed the time, um, for the edges dad, anything else you want to tack on? I know you were saying vert and, um, broad jump are definitely things to look at broad jump. Seems like we're saying that a lot. Um, and then generally size, there's some, there's they some definitely lower seem to like their bigger. Yeah. yeah. They don't seem to go for like the 230, 240 pound. Edge yeah. They're, they they're like not the guys going to for be... these small bigger, outside two- linebackers they're not they're not going for these 230 pound pass rushing specialists maybe late in the draft but but most likely not um but that kind of takes us down to our last position that we are going to talk about today which is interior d-line um Gutekinds has drafted five interior d-linemen in his time as Packers gm uh Devontae wyatt jonathan ford tj slayton kings Kiki, and is it james looney I believe that it's James Looney. Right. And Looney, um, who ended up, I don't know if you guys remember, was a interior D lineman and then switched over to tight end while he was with the Packers, and then it never really quite worked out. It was a bit of a weird scenario. Um, for these players, though, Dad, do you want to take this one away? Because I know you did most of the work on this one. Um, you did most of the work on a lot of this. Thank you so much for gathering all this data. You did you did most <laughs> of the was, data uh, gathering. I did a lot of the – I did some of the analysis. You did a lot of the analysis. You did some of the analysis. I did, I did some data ga- gathering. You did some of the analysis. And uh, So I did look at some of the, the D-line. And so one thing that you see, really the D-line – is kind of a mess. It it is it is a Frankenstein. It is. It is a mess. You're right. <laughs> not, not because just, not just talk, how they're drafting. They're not. You. It's not all the same position, and you can see it in the draft numbers. So this is one where there's a lot of size variance in this group, with some kind of grading very high in the range for height and weight, like Ford and Slayton, both nose tackles, 
and some grading um, below average, like Kiki and Looney. So they'll take players that are smaller than average, like, you know, below average size. Um, for the height, Kiki and Looney were both like 6'2 and a half and 208, high 280, 288, 287 pounds. And then you have Ford and Slayton on the upper end, 6'4 or 6'5, 330 some pounds, each of them. And then Wyatt is kind of in the middle, six, you know, six two and a half, six two and three quarters, and and a little over three hundred pounds. It's so interesting you've got because two because different for, groups of players that we're putting in one bucket. Well, it's interesting because for Slayton, it's like, yeah, he's really big, but he's really athletic. Like he can dunk. Ford he can is dunk like a basketball at at three thirty, but Ford, but Ford is like, I don't. He's not really a Packers guy, and he didn't no, play. So at we all. can talk about. <laughs> Let me talk so, about the, the – yeah, right. So they're just so – their sizes are, are really two different groups of players. And for RAS, they mostly care about RAS, even though they got players that are smaller, players that are bigger. Um, that, you know, Looney and Wyatt are both like over 9.5. Um, Slayton and Kiki are both almost 8. Um, so it's like, you know, um, both – they're like the great bucket – and then Ford is 3.5, well yeah. below average. Which um, is why I feel like Ford is almost like not representative of the type of sample of player that they would take. Because I feel like he was picked essentially just as a, a special teamer. But then he didn't play I at mean, all. The, so the, it's I, like, right. I don't really understand but they what kept the goal on, is there. But they had him on the 53 the whole season, but never yeah. had him active. But the, the so talk weird. when they drafted was like, well, it looks like maybe he's a blocker on teams and some of the, the protection units. Though he never actually got a chance to, to to show what he could do there, and I mean, um, it's a seventh round pick. You know, maybe he's just a really nice guy. Also, who knows? <laughs> it's like it's a seventh round pick. Um, so for the then we look at the the forty, the speed. You actually have three of the players um, with great speed scores of the forty below below five for you know these D, D linemen and Wyatt. Being the fastest at four seven seven, and Kiki Looney also being below. Why it was five, a why uh, it was a freak show, athletic testing. Yeah, he was a freak sh- athletic testing. You don't really you didn't really see it in the first year on the field. So well, it's like you didn't really uh, see him on the field when so, he could get on. He was, yeah. he was right. He's gonna say his 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 grades were actually good for the small amount he got on there. And then um, you know, and, and Slayton was okay, but you know, remember he's like a nose tackle. He's like three hundred thirty pounds, yes. running at a five oh nine. That's the other thing yeah. you gotta. I like, mean, a five oh nine at three thirty is is like really good. Like that's really really good. Yeah, and compared to like Ford's is five four five point four nine at three at the same weight basically, and then they're um. So Ford is is really an outlier in a lot of different ways here. Um, the vertical though had less variance than say the 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 weight and the speed. They all they either. Had a high uh, vertical jump of twenty nine or thirty one and a half, all very tightly clustered. So again, yeah. one of these sort of explosive, you know, explosiveness score. But the, uh, but then the broad jump was, um, they're kind of all close together except for Ford, where like nine foot one inch to nine foot five inches for all of them except for Ford, who is eight, eight foot six inches, eight and a half feet on the on the yeah. broad. So he got a poor score. The other people had pretty had decent scores the broad jump. And then the um, Wyatt, Kiki, and Looney all did well in the agility drills, um, being great for at least one of the two agility drills. And um, and I think Looney was great for both of them. Um, Wyatt was great for the th- – and um, – sorry. Uh, Wyatt was great on the three-cone. Kiki was great at the short shuttle. Mm-hmm. And they're both kind of just like good, a little bit above average for the for the other. And Looney was was actually great on both of them. So would would now, you Slayton say the agility did not do well? On... Okay, would you say the agility would be the more most important of of these measurements, or or do you th- do you feel like the jumps are more important for the D line? I think the jumps are the most important thing for the D line, and I think that's what they're. My guess is like the vertical, the broad jump, are the thing they're really looking at. And and you talk, hear talk about that a lot is being able to explode out of your stance quickly. And mm-hmm. so that that first burst is what they're kind of looking for to get like up and under the pads to try to push your opponent back quickly. 
Um, though I think at the defensive end positions, the guys are doing more pass rushing, then the agility starts to get a little bit more important. When you got the guys in the center, like Slayton, even Slayton, his agility wasn't so good, but you know, he's 330 pounds. It's, uh, there's, there's a little bit, you, we got, uh, you know, some, some actual physics at work here. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, you, you can't turn, buddy. You're that times acceleration. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I think we're actually looking at, Profiles for two different players. You're looking for ends are going to do more, but you want players going to do more pass rushing. Then yeah, more like want a little guys bit more. who are more like three techs, like defense and and right. fives. You, you but, got your defensive yeah. ends, and you got your fives rather than your 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 kind of true nose or your um, D tackle. Those guys are going to be a little bit bigger. Maybe not have the agility, but still, I think they want some some uh, good explosions if they can yeah, get they, them. They want the yeah, explosion they want some explosion D line because because you got to get the pop in the pads to reset the line like. You yeah. can't just be that's getting out of your one thing that seems a little bit there. more consistent in the numbers here, even across sort of you might call them the two different position groups inside the defensive um, in the interior defensive line. Um, that seems to be important. Yeah, and so and you got a little bit to, more and a little more speed um, on the uh, defensive ends as well, but with mm-hmm. Wyatt and Kiki, not to be confused and with Looney, who is kind of a right. And Looney, who was kind of a seventh round flyer back in 2018. Um, and so, so that's what I would say about kind of things to look for for um, defensive linemen. Because I think they're going to take, another, you know, they, they need more depth there, especially with, with losing Lowry. And if they lose Lowry and Reed, they need, they need, they need to, somebody who's going to take snaps. Yep. Um, so you could be looking for one or maybe even two defensive linemen to to be picked. And uh, so it kind of depends on, uh, you, you know, what to look for in terms of traits, thinking about whether they want some more run, run help up the middle or some, somebody who to uh, hold up and, but also I think have they, some pass rush. I think they need more pass chops. rush juice along the D line in my opinion. But yeah. as we wrap it up here, let's talk a little bit just about some stuff in general. Um, we've talked about essentially what we think are the five biggest positions of need and what to watch for, for each of them. Just to break it down for you really quick, quick summary, safeties, size isn't that big a deal, um, but they do still need to be elite athletes. Um, They need to have a really good vert and a really good broad jump. Those are definitely the things to look for. Tight ends, they don't seem to really care about athletes at all, but maybe they should because a lot of teams are having good success betting on athletes. Uh, wide receivers, uh, they do have to usually be above 200 pounds, and they like them tall. Three guys that if they have picked have been in the 90th percentile of height. They don't care much about the vertical jump there, but the broad jump is definitely another one to keep an eye on for them. Edge rushers, they need to be elite elite athletes pretty much all the way around for the package to take them. The only one that hasn't been is Enigbari, although that did work out well for them. And then interior D-line, it kind of depends on what kind of player you're looking for for them, it really seems like. Uh, whether it's a nose tackle they might they still need to be explosive but the um agility doesn't matter as much but if it's a three technique they do care a lot about the agility uh dad anything in that brief summary one last two last points you want to tack onto there or and then we can talk a little bit about in general i think the other thing i will add in general is if you can only watch one athletic testing for the packers watch the broad jumps because that seems to be the one that they care about the most (laughs) at almost every position i was gonna say uh, if you look at that if you look across all positions even the ones we didn't talk about today that almost everybody, with only like three exceptions, scored good or great for their position in the broad jump, like 80 or 90th percentile for their position in the broad jump. The only exceptions were like Jonathan Ford, who we're still not sure what he is. What Kadar exactly Holman. is it that you do here? <laughs> Kadar, Kadar Holman, Holman was a who, gunner. Who, he was just a gunner, pretty much. And, like, and, and had a good testing in other... other uh, um, yeah, I mean, he was a fine player. He was a good, he was a good player. Uh, other aspects. And then Cole Madison. So that's... Their exceptions are very few of their draft picks at the at the broad jump, and then across the um, offensive and de- defensive fronts. So there's like the front seven and the um, offensive line. Speed and explosion are those. There are exceptions to those uh, two traits are rare um, in the offensive and defensive fronts, um, mostly in the 80 and 90th percentiles across mm-hmm. all the across all positions. So you know. You can't compare the actual speed and the actual jumps because they're yeah you know, too big, um, position controlled. Because uh, you can't compare how how high a hundred ninety pound 
cornerback jumps compared to a 330 pound. I want pound, a D tackle uh, who runs a 4 tackle. 4, Dad, and I want it right now. <laughs> and I want it right now. So does every, right now. So does everybody in the NFL. <laughs> well, anyway. Thanks so much and for then, coming. Uh, and oh, then any, size yeah, exceptions are more. Okay. I could say, and then size exceptions are more common in um, less common in receiver for for weight, and uh, more common. Um, and I think like the offensive tackles is kind of an interesting thing uh, compared to like where you had a lot of size exceptions in the tackles and fewer in the interior line. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of an interesting interesting thing that came out of some of these other positions, although well, we didn't go into detail. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming and listening to our combine prep for the Green Bay Packers specifically. The combine's coming up this week, and it's a lot of fun to watch and keep in track of. Uh, we love draft season. It's one of our favorite times of the year, and this is one of the highlights of draft season. So if you want to go check it out, it's usually on NFL Network. Thanks so much for listening. Like we said, come follow us on Twitter at Father Son Packer. Come subscribe to us on YouTube, Father Son Packers Podcast. Come listen to us anywhere podcasts can be found, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere Pretty much, you can find us. And until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.